You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Today, we are in the Gospel of John. So if you have your copy of Scripture, turn to the first chapter. And if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's holy word, we're going to hear just two verses this morning. Last week, we covered verse 14 a little bit. Now we're going to cover it a little bit more. And then verse 18, okay? So verse 14, this well-known passage, this beautiful Christmas theme, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now verse 18 says it this way, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. God, we ask that today you will make your son known in our midst, that we will feel his presence, and that, God, we will begin to live our lives in his power. We thank you, God, for this moment to focus on your word, and may it cut deep and go deep into our hearts, changing us from the inside out And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Surely you've heard the term, the phrase, it's too good to be true. We say that when something amazing happens, but I'm afraid that we say it because of our cynical, skeptical minds. I'm here to tell you that we will not experience all that God has for us if we have such cynical and skeptical minds. Here at Christmas, it is important for us to open our minds to the large realities, the magnificent, amazing realities that Scripture brings right to our faces. I think that many of us, we've been blessed. Many of you have a testimony that you could give of being in church for many years, maybe your whole life, and that's a blessing. But sometimes that, that familiarity with stories like this causes us to miss how amazing they are. I have to tell you, though, that when I share the gospel with people, over the years I have heard people say things like, it's too good to be true. It seems so simple that this is how God connects with humanity. It seems so simple, and quite frankly, it is. That's the beauty of the gospel. It is not complicated. It does not require advanced uh, degrees or knowledge of some secret sort to understand. This is a very simple reality. But don't let that fool you either. Though it is simple to understand, it is amazing to consider how good God is to us. And I want you to know today that it's not too good to be true. And here's what we're going to really be focusing on today is the fact that God is with you, that God is present, that you can have intimate knowledge of God. You can feel his presence and know his power in this world. Today, when we look at those verses, verses 14 and 18, uh, we, we see how God wants to make a home with us. That's really what verse 14 is about, that, that God set up a home with us, and more on that in a moment. But verse 18 is telling us a similar thought. That God desires community with us, fellowship with us. It's a powerful thing. When I was 
meditating on these two verses, a line from the old Christmas standard, Home for Christmas, came to my mind. And here it is. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Now, that, that song, I can just imagine it being sung in the 1940s by servicemen and women who were far from home. That's the kind of line that really gets you uh, down deep in your heart as you're thinking about what, what could be or what should be or what ought to be in this world. I get it. We all want to experience the closeness of fellowship with our family, with our friends, and sometimes that's not possible. But what I want you to see is that line where love light gleams. That's the line that really jumped out in my mind as I began to think about what God has done for us. He has allowed us to be in that place where love's light gleams. You, each of you in this room, have the ability, the capacity, the wonderful privilege of being in the presence of God because of what Christ has done for us. This seems like something that could only be true in our dreams. Again, think about what the song says. That idea of being where we want to be and it's just a dream. It's not a reality. It's not, it's not where we are. But I want you to know this, that God's word is not giving us a dream. It really is giving us the reality. Today, the reality is if you are distant from God, that's a choice you have made. That's a choice you are making and it is a choice that you can change today. You don't have to continue to be at odds with God. You don't have to continue to be estranged from his love. Today, you can experience him and be right at home with him. Jesus' advent brought eternity into time and makes it possible for our hearts to find eternity in heaven. Each of us in this room, every single one of us, we know that Time is ticking, that, that time on this earth is always limited. Each one of us in this room, we know there are limits. Now, the reality is, is that God understands that. There's this thing in your heart called eternity. God placed this thing in your heart called eternity. You long for that. That's what drives you to be better. That's what drives you to be more. But when we understand Christ, the dream becomes reality. We can become more for God and we can be filled with the presence of Jesus. I believe that the dream of, of your life, everything that you are looking for is in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a few words to you this morning that I hope bring you great encouragement. But I also want to be very clear with you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We are not going to, 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 to have an approach that is anything other than Christ-centered. We believe that Jesus is the answer for the world, and we will be unapologetic about that. We will be respectful. We will be gracious, but we will be firm in our belief that to be home with God, we have to come through Jesus Christ. That's what we want to hear today, and that's what I want to encourage you with so that you can share the gospel with all the strength and might that you have within you. Let's begin with Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh, you see it there, and the word became flesh. Everything I'm going to tell you today is about proxemics, which just means a closeness. Everything about these two verses is about God drawing near to us, his closeness unto us. 
And I want you to hear that because it seems to me that as I'm talking to people, many times as I'm talking to Christian people, church people, they feel cold and they feel distant, not just with their loved ones, not just with those that are their acquaintances, but so many of us feel distant from God. I am so brokenhearted about that feeling that seems to just uh, take over. It's like a virus in our culture today where so many people feel distant from God. Friends, when we are feeling distant from God, that simply means that we are not taking Christ for all he's worth. We're not listening to the word. And the word of God is telling us that everything that God desires is a close relationship with you. That's right, you. You, with all your faults and failures and foibles and fraught with error, you, you can tell me your story about how all these different ways you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all can do that. But note this, no matter where you've been, Jesus is coming close to you. This morning, he wants to draw near to you. The incarnation proves this. Him who is nothing less than God became nothing less than man. Now, Leon Morris said this, a great New Testament scholar. I, I agree with him completely. Uh, God coming in, God coming down so that he could have fellowship with us. But to do that, he had to be nothing less than man. The word became flesh. Now, let me just take you through this passage. Go back up to John 1, 2. We are told that he was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus, the word, Lagos, that's being referred to. Through him, all things were made, verse three. And in him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's verse four. Those are big thoughts. Those are cosmic images of who Christ is. Now we come down to verse 14. And that cosmic image shifts gears. This God who created the heavens and the earth, who is life and light. He is the very presence of life and light. Remember what I told you? Like, Light is such a complicated thing that science today still can't quite describe it. Life is such a complicated thing that scientists really don't understand what life is in that moment where death happens. There was some interesting research that was published this week about the moment of our deaths. As people, even scientists, are trying to grapple with the mystery of life and death. Those great mysteries are answered in Jesus but we can bring it down from these lofty thoughts of light, physics, life, biology. We can bring it down to the word became flesh. What that basically means is, is that God wasn't afraid to rub elbows with human beings. And the word here, flesh, is a powerful word. We lose so much in translations, even in modern translations, I tell you, it is a crazy thing to try to communicate with someone who doesn't speak the language. It just will drive you nuts. It's funny and it's sad and it's crazy all at the same time. Greek is a funny thing. Greek has this word flesh. Now, when we say flesh, we do have some negative connotation. We do think of that. But for the most part, that's just a simple word talking about flesh. But in the Greek world, to use the word flesh was almost always a very negative word. It was almost an ugly word. Almost, not quite, almost a curse word. The Greeks thought that the flesh was all corrupt. Now, they were right to a certain extent, but they had a disdain for it. 
They had a disdain for human life. They were always trying to achieve something beyond human life, and they were trying to achieve what they called the spirit, the pneumatos. Now, that makes sense to us. We understand that we have a soul, and that's an important part of us, but hear this. Jesus doesn't throw away the flesh. He took on flesh because your life matters. Your body matters. He cares for you. Not just the you that is some spiritual essence, but the you that is really, really you, sitting in that chair right now. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Christmas miracle is about a God who is not going to just stay in some high and lofty spiritual plane, but he comes down where we need him most. There is great contrast here. There is both mystery and miracle. Jesus' arrival on the world stage changed everything. But I want you to understand this. The main reason Jesus came, the whole Christmas story is about the desire God has to change your heart. I believe with all of my heart that the most transformative message in the world is the gospel. That the most radical teaching, spiritually and otherwise, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it can change the world. It has changed the world. It will continue to change the world. But I want you to know this morning, before you worry about the world, know that God worries about your heart. Your heart. You know the one that's been broken? You know your heart? You know those, those moments when you have felt unloved and maybe pushed to the margins? Yeah, your heart. I want you to know your brokenness, your sadness, your, your everything matters to God. We know this because Jesus took on flesh. Great indeed, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, one of the great passages, we believe it's a hymn, a song tucked into the epistle. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He said, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That is the gospel in miniature. I want you to know that God has sent his only son so that you can be godly in this world. That he was manifested in the flesh and vindicated in the spirit so that you could be changed by that. I am not here today to just change your mind. I am not here today to tell you you're wrong and I'm right. I am here today because I believe that the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the advocacy of the Holy Spirit, can change your heart. I'm worried about your mind because some of you guys are thinking bad things, no good things. Like, why didn't the pastor just fall over? I'm not used to having that there. Anyway, don't hit that no more. God is concerned about your heart. You know, we, we spend so much time in this world arguing with people. But what we need to do is we need to ask people how they're doing, how their heart is. That's the change that is needed. I believe that Jesus came in the flesh because there was no other way for him to communicate perfectly the perfection of the Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not saying that God made any mistakes, but hey, look at it. God sent some really good preachers to Israel. They had a lot of good preaching, and they didn't listen to it. Israel did not listen to the preaching of the prophets, and so God sent his only son. He wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. And so as the parable Jesus gave uh, uh, gives us a hint, he said, well, you know what? Maybe they'll listen to my son. Now, he knew, he knew what would happen, 
But that shows how much God loves us, that Jesus came in the flesh. We can't skip Christmas and still have a Christ who saves us, friends. We need this Christmas story because if the gospel leads us to our eternal home, then the birth of Jesus is the front door of that eternal abode. I want you to know that only Christ, the message of Christmas, is that front door of the gospel. As we prepare our hearts to share Jesus in this next year, seven times apiece, 8,400 times collectively, remember, Christmas is the front door. So if you're wanting to get started on your witnessing, Christmas time's a good time because that's the front door, baby. That's the front door. Tell people about the coming of Jesus. Be excited about Christmas. Now let's talk for just a moment about Jesus and fellowship. It says there in verse 14 that he dwelt among us. This is describing the moment when truly eternity touched down. One translator put it this way. A good translation of that line and dwelt among us is the word Jesus lived for a while with us. He was a guest with us on this earth. We know and can break down the time. It looks like about 33 years. We know it was about three years of actual ministry. When we go through the Gospels, we can sort of piece that together. doesn't say exactly how many months, but it was about three years. And during that time, he fellowshiped with us. And what did he do? Well, he brought fullness of grace and truth. As we see at the back end of verse 14, look at verse 14. He was full of grace and truth, which we talked about last week. He brought this message of hope. He was a man on earth, but he was a little bit different. Back a long time ago, before my time, back in the 1950s, there was uh, an insurance company called the John Hancock Insurance Company, and they had this wonderful little advertising uh, scheme that they had where they had an Abraham Lincoln. Okay, so I was, born, I was, I was raised in the land of Lincoln, okay? So uh, Abraham Lincoln, you can just sort of see him. And the slogan was, he was everybody, only a little taller, now, that was true. He was quite tall for that age. He was probably four or five inches taller than the average man in the 1860s. So when he would walk out on a, uh, you know, amongst men and with that top hat, he was like eight feet tall. He was just a little different. And, you know, it wasn't just about how tall he was. When you read what he wrote, when you see how he led and during the times that he led, he truly was a great leader. He was a great leader, a great leader like our country desperately needs today. A great leader who was brilliant and, and great. In, and they said his voice was squeaky, but his words were always powerful. We can still read them today. I want you to realize when we come to Jesus, we're not dealing with just another person. He is everybody, only a little taller. He's better. Jesus is better. Jesus is humanity as it ought to be. As I was thinking about this, I remembered years ago, I read in Calvin Miller's little book, The Book of Jesus, a lovely little compilation of Christmas uh, traditions from all over the world. Uh, Calvin Miller's gone on to be with the Lord. He was a professor where I, I studied and did my MDiv. But he, he found this wonderful little thing. I want to read it to you. Um, it's by Herbert C. Gabbard. He said, to artist, Jesus is the one altogether lovely. To architects, he is the chief cornerstone. To physicians, he is the great physician. To preachers, he is the word of God. To philosophers, he is the wisdom of God. To the dying, he is the resurrection and the life. To geologists, he is the rock of ages. To farmers, he is the lord of the harvest. To professors, he is the master teacher. To prodigals, listen up, he is the forgiving father. 
To the lost sheep, he is the good shepherd. To thirsty souls, he is the water of life. To the hungry, he is the bread of life. To philanthropists, he is God's unspeakable gift. He goes on to say, 20 centuries after his sojourn on earth, his shadow is larger and growing larger than ever before. No one can measure his height or his influence. That is Jesus. Jesus' power and his beauty grows in time and over time because we all see that he is something different. When I listen to the dialogue in the world, when I do have the opportunity to speak with those in the halls of academia, I love walking in that world. I love thinking with people who are thinking. But here's the deal. I notice that there is always a special target on Jesus. There's just something about it. And I don't think it's just because of our cultural context. It just seems like Jesus always, if there's a religious figure that's going to be harassed, it's going to be Jesus. And let me just say this. You can harass Jesus all you want. He can handle himself. But I'll tell you this too. The reason why people harass the message and the person of Jesus is because he hits nerves, baby. He is always telling the truth in love. And when we look at his life, we see that he is living like we ought to live. All of us, you know, we, you ever heard someone say, you know, your mama told you, told you different, trained you up better than that. Why are you acting like that? You know, anytime we feel that way, all we have to do is look to Jesus and we can see the way it should be. He is the model. He is the way. And God's word is telling us that this Jesus came into the earth, lived with us, and rose again. But he came to us to fellowship with us. I want you to realize, though, Though he is the model, he did something that none of us could do. He rose again. The fact of Christ's resurrection opens the door for us to have eternal fellowship with him in heaven. Hey, blink your eyes and it's going to be Easter time. So if Christmas is the front door, I'm not saying Easter is the back door because that didn't sound right, but it's more like bookends, man. If we are serious about our faith, we need to be a people of the cross and a, pe- a people of the empty tomb and a people who believe in the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We need to believe those truths because the Bible sets them forth as fundamental truths. Now, before we leave verse 14, I want to say one more thing. Let's rewind the, the, the tape of Scripture. I've got in my mind, if you, can, you guys remember cassette tapes? Okay, let's rewind that tape, okay? Let's rewind it, okay? And we're going to rewind it to the book of Exodus, We are told in the book of Exodus that God required Moses to build a tabernacle because that was a hint that God actually wanted to hang out with us. Everything about that tabernacle was telling us God wanted fellowship with us. Israel said, no thank you. They rejected the invitation. So what does God do? He says in John 1 that Jesus tabernacled with us. And many people are saying, no, thank you. I don't want to be with you. But note this. Those who do believe in Jesus, those who believed in Yahweh in the days of Moses, those who have put their faith in Jesus, the book of Revelation. Now let's fast forward the tape to the end of time. We are told that God in Christ will tabernacle with his people. Tabernacle, that's the Exodus. Tabernacle, that's John 1. Tabernacle, that's the book of Revelation. From beginning to end, the Bible is about God wanting fellowship with you. He loves you enough to make it possible you have an invitation. Have you ever got an invitation in the mail and it was just beautifully written and it was a really cool party and you were very excited to go to it? 
Me either. I never get invited to those parties. But anyway, <laughs> imagine that you were invited to a really cool party. Listen, this is the coolest party of all, and you've got an invitation. God wants to fellowship with you. He loves you. Now, verse 18, very quickly here, Jesus at the Father's side and in our hearts. Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God. That's not good. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So who is it that's at the Father's side? We know that's Jesus. And we know that that's where, at the right hand of God the Father, we have that image in our minds. But notice this, the key word here is, he has made him known. The he is Jesus. The one being made known is God. We are all trying to understand our place in the universe. We need to know who God is. And we are told at the beginning of verse 18 that no one has ever seen God. Exodus 34, we see no mortal man can see Yahweh and live. It looks like we are never going to be able to have intimacy and close contact with God. If we look at the Old Testament, it looks impossible. God had a plan. That plan found its fruition and fulfillment in the town called Bethlehem. And in that place, in the most humble of circumstances, Jesus was born. And he was born so that there could be relationships with a mother and a father. There would be relationships with shepherds in the fields. There would be relationships and connections with the wise men. There would be relationships with the kids and the families of Nazareth. There would be connections there in Galilee and Capernaum and Jerusalem and all those places. Jesus came to build friendships and relationships. That's who he is. That's what he has called us to do. If you are filled with Jesus, you are called to take that wonderful message of God, the wonderful presence of God into the world. I think the world needs to see some optimism from people who claim to have Christ in their hearts. I think the world needs to see us living full of love, having laughter and joy, because we have not just heard about Jesus, we have him right here. I want you to take a look at this phrase. I kind of like to geek out every once in a while, so just forgive me. Don't hold it against me, okay? Take a look at this. He has made him known. That phrase is so simple in the English, but it's actually a beautiful little word in Greek that literally translates to dig or to excavate or to uncover. It's the word we use in preaching for what I do. I take a scripture and I try to dig into it. That's exegesis, we say. It's based on this Greek word. Now, I want you to realize this. Who is Jesus? Well, John says here in verse 18, as he finishes up the prologue, if you want God uncovered, Jesus uncovers God. If you are at all cloudy about who God is and how much he loves you, look at Jesus. Listen to his words and hear how much he loves you. Look at his cross and see what he did to show you how much he loves you. Look at his empty tomb and look at the hope you have of resurrection. He has uncovered God's plan. Jesus has uncovered God's plan. And today, some of you are seeing the light. You realize that God has come near, that God does want a relationship with you. It's time to receive it. Our eyes can't see God, but our hearts can see him when we trust in Jesus. Let me say again, the only way to have God in your life is to have Jesus in your heart. Yeah, God wants to change the world, but right now, this morning, what he'd like to do is change your heart. When I stand in this pulpit and I think about all the things we could do together for God, man, my heart just gets so excited. But you know, every once in a while I have to dial it back. 
Listen, I, I want to see us do great things for God, but the most important thing is this morning that God gets a hold of your heart. Your heart matters more to God right now than anything else. Your life, your salvation, that's what God cares about. On the one hand, our sins are darker than we dare think. But on the other hand, salvation is more beautiful than we dare hope. Remember what I said earlier? It sounds too good to be true. Well, it isn't. This isn't too good to be true because it's just plain old truth. Jesus is not too good to be true, but he is too good to miss. And I feel like too many of us are missing him. You see, Jesus is where the love life gleams. The love light gleams. This is where, right now in this moment, where you can receive this beautiful truth, this beautiful hope of the gospel. Everything about John 1, 1 through 18, is about the nearness of God, the presence of God through Jesus. And I'm asking you, if you don't know him, will you receive him this morning? Many of you have have claimed to have received him, but he is distant from you now. Will you ask him to draw you near? Will you ask him to heal your heart? Home for Christmas? Yeah, there's no better way to be home for Christmas than to have Christ at home in your heart. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.